It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. So I came face to face with the national COVID testing shortage yesterday. It was ugly and it was cold. You know, a lot of times you write about these things, you opine, you talk about them on TV. But yesterday I needed to try to get some of these at-home testing kits for COVID. And, you know, you order it on Amazon and you get the kind of response like, okay, like what month would you like this? You know, it takes at least a couple of weeks to get them. And this all goes back to the spectacular miscalculation by the Biden administration, not lining up these at-home tests much, much, much earlier, because it was predictable there would be a wave. If it wasn't Omicron, it would be something else. And I don't let the states off the hook either. Uh, so it was announced that um, my local library system here in the Washington area would have tests available from 11 to 2. So, that, you know, I ought to go over and get some. They're free. That's great. Uh, by the way, I later went to my local drugstore and they had a whole bunch of tests for sale. $50 a pop. You know, you can forget about that if you're living on a, a fixed income. Anyway, I figured go to the library. It's not that far from where I live. Uh, I knew there'd be a line. So get there about uh, 10.30, 10.40. Massive line, you know, around the corner, into the parking lot, snaking around. I must have 150 to 200 people on that line. And it was, it was about 28 degrees. It was windy. It was about, you know, wind chill must have been about 18 degrees. So I'm standing there and standing there and standing there. And, you know, forget it. It's not about me. I mean, I saw people on that line who were elderly. I saw a woman on crutches. I saw a person in a wheelchair. And because of this spectacular failure by the healthcare system and the political system, you know, they're reduced to having to wait in the bone-chilling cold just to get one of these tests to find out, do they have COVID? Can they go back to work? Can they see friends and family? Do they have to quarantine? Do they have to isolate? Uh, and I'm just fuming and I'm thinking, well, why can't they at least let us wait inside the library where it'd be warm? Well, then it turns out there's a whole bunch of other people who showed up even earlier and they're inside the library. And the library, for some bizarre reason, made the decision that until... Everybody, must have been at least another 100 people in there, got their kits. Uh, they wouldn't be able to leave, and therefore more people who are standing out in the cold be able to go in. You know, you would think it would be, okay, you get it, you get it, and then they walk out, and gradually more people go in. I don't understand it. Uh, I know the library trying to do the right thing, but this was ridiculous. Anyway, probably about 45 or 50 minutes uh, freezing. And then when I left, I saw, you know, another 200 people had showed up just to get a, a kit to find out if you test positive for COVID. And by the way, just a little uh, footnote here, uh, the system I had been using um, was a saliva test system where I would send it away through FedEx and get the results in a couple of days, You know, which if you don't actively have symptoms or worry about you have it, was working just fine. So I do that, I drop it off at the FedEx, I don't hear anything for a couple of days, and then I go you know, where you can track it online, and it says, um, no delivery date set. Uh, earliest would be January 19th. Well, thanks a lot. That's not doing me any good. Whatever happened to the, when it absolutely has to be there overnight? Absolutely positively, right? I guess we'll look back at that as being from the Paleolithic era. Uh, I guess the supply chain problems that have plagued everybody else have also hit Federal Express. I mean, maybe this was an isolated case, but routinely I would just drop this off and it would get there in a day, and I'd get the results in another day. And now they're telling me, you know, 
<laughs> yeah, you're lucky if it gets there. So that's my little testing story. You probably have your own stories as everybody's scrambling to find out. And even though, you know, the tests are not 100% accurate uh, and all that, it's at least it's a screening device, a way to know that you may have COVID. Now, doesn't it seem like an awful lot of famous people are dying just in the first 10 or 11 days of 2022? I mean, the latest celebrity, Bob Saget, I mean, he played that wonderful role on Full House with the Olsen twins and so forth. What a sweet guy by every account. And then in his later career, he did stand-up comedy. He kind of played against his good old dad image by being, uh, you know, having a very raunchy act, but by all accounts, a wonderful human being. Dying at 65, don't know uh, the reason, but a lot of um, his friends and others in the entertainment world paying tribute to him. A lot of you won't know this name. I also saw this yesterday. Maybe it happened the day before. Dwayne Hickman has died. He was the actor who played Dobie Gillis on the old Dobie Gillis show. I, I was so young when I watched that. It dates to, I think, the very early 60s. Um, that I couldn't quite figure it out. Dobie Gillis was this angst-ridden teenager who would have these soulful monologues talking to the camera at a time when you didn't have angst-ridden teenagers. You had Leave it to Beaver. You had Father Knows Best. And Dobie's friend on the show was a beatnik. It shows you how old the show is. And his name on the show was Maynard G. Krebs. He had a little goatee. And he was played by Bob Denver, who went on to become Gilligan on Gilligan's Island. Uh, Dwayne Hickman didn't have as much luck. He was so typecast as Dobie that while he got some parts over the years in movies and TV shows, you know, he didn't have exactly a, a thriving uh, career, and he has now passed. And one more, I mean, you'll only know this name if you're a longtime and diehard NFL fan, but Don Maynard, a one-time wide receiver for the New York Jets, passed away at the age of 86. And the reason I remember this is because I, as a kid, was at the AFC Championship game at the old Shea Stadium uh, that the Jets won in the final two minutes when Joe Namath threw a bomb down the field to Don Maynard, who caught it. He's an amazing wide receiver. And that set up the winning touchdown, put the Jets in the Super Bowl, where they became the first AFC team to win the Super Bowl. Uh, so Don Maynard uh, passing away. He always had that bit of history because the Jets were such a history-making team. That was Super Bowl three, many, many Super Bowls ago. And speaking of football, Georgia uh, knocking off Alabama to win the college football national championship last night. I mean, the Crimson Tide never loses. The Bulldogs haven't won the title since 1980. So a lot of happy Georgia fans out there. Hey, I just saw this headline in the Washington Post. Rochelle Walensky is not good at this. Yeah, I've been saying that for months. Not a good communicator. Although she did get kind of screwed uh, the way that ABC edited an interview, uh, I guess for Good Morning America, uh, made it appear as if she was appearing, as if she seemed indifferent to COVID deaths among people who are disabled or have comorbidities. And the part they took out now, people are recognizing she, she was not, it was not that at all. So that was one unfair shot. All right, a lot to cover here, starting with story number one. One of the things uh, I've observed in the one year of Joe Biden's presidency is the White House really uh, cares about the big newspapers. And when Biden has news to make, he doesn't go and break it on TV. His White House leaks it the night before to the morning papers, sometimes just one paper, uh, so that they get a pop 
that they think will frame the day that he comes on TV. But of course, by that time, everybody's already chewed it over. In any event, he will give a speech today in Georgia. Uh, papers like the New York Times and the Washington Post have it. And the New York Times puts it this way. President Biden will endorse changing Senate rules to pass new voting rights legislation during a speech in Atlanta, the most significant step he will have taken to pressure lawmakers on an act that he has called the biggest test of America's democracy since the Civil War. And you know what's coming next. It's about the filibuster. The reason the Dems have not been able to pass this Voting Rights Act, it's actually two bills, is because you would need all 50 Democratic votes in the Senate, with a tie broken by Kamala Harris, in order to change the filibuster. They don't want to abolish it. They want what's called a carve-out, meaning only for this issue, where their Democrats are now saying issues relating to the Constitution or democracy would be eligible to change the filibuster. Therefore, the Republicans can't block it by requiring a 60-vote minimum. And I don't see how this is going anywhere. Now, maybe they've cut a backroom deal that I don't know about. But you not only have Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema saying repeatedly and publicly they are not in favor of changing the filibuster on anything that they think it's an important part of Senate tradition. Remember, I mean, it's not in the Constitution. It's just something that has been part of Senate procedure for a long time. It's gone through various permutations. They don't have to keep it. But Biden, 36 years in the Senate, such an institutionalist that he did not want to do this. But he's under enormous pressure to do something, in part because of the aforementioned mansion. Uh, this build back better $2 trillion spending bill seems like it's, if not dead, barely has a pulse. No negotiations are going on. They should have taken a deal, whatever deal they could have gotten from Manchin. If he was only going to go along with half of the $1.8 trillion, they should have taken it. Because now, the more the time goes on, the more the thing is never going to pass. They could have gotten some version of the climate change bill. But I digress. Um, Biden will not go so far uh, to call for a full-scale elimination of the filibuster. Um, he will. And so they're so intent on giving the Times a story that, they're actually, that, that the White House is actually giving the paper uh, some exact quotes of what Biden will say in his speech later today uh, in Atlanta. Uh, he will cite repeated obstruction by Republicans. Um, he says the filibuster is protecting extreme attacks on the most basic constitutional rights. The president will also say the next few days when these bills come to a vote, that's the Chuck Schumer plan, will mark a turning point in this nation. So, you know, you don't have to tune in. Here's what he's saying. Will we choose democracy over autocracy, light over shadow, justice over injustice? I know where I stand. But, belaboring the obvious, I mean, obviously you have to have this paragraph. The Times says it's a gamble for the president, who has exhausted his political capital on other efforts, including a bipartisan infrastructure deal and a stalled social spending plan. Many Democrats say the carve-out would apply to uh, other issues and that would further weaken the filibuster, which, of course, you know, next time the Republicans control uh, the Senate, they can turn around and do the same thing to the Dems, maybe even blow up the filibuster. It's always very tempting when you're in the majority, and it's always very frustrating when you are in the minority. So what are we talking about here? One of the bills is called the Freedom to Vote Act. It would, among other things... Uh, try to neutralize some of these state-led efforts, and this is really what it's about, to restrict mail-in voting, absentee ballots, make of Election Day a holiday, uh, stop state legislators from withdrawing districts. That's called gerrymandering. Um, and then the other bill is the John Lewis Amendment, or Act, which would restore, uh, excuse me, restore 
anti-discrimination components of the original 65 Voting Rights Act that was stripped away by the Supreme Court back in 2013. So I mentioned I think has some voice support for the John Lewis law. It's more limited, but you can't get it without the filibuster anyway. And the other thing, the problem is it's a kind of a laundry list. You know, it's all, it goes down to the level of can you give water to people who are online waiting to vote. You know, rather than, than stripping it down to a couple of core things, you'll never get it. It's not going to pass on a bipartisan basis. You're never going to get one Republican vote for this. But at least you could make the case publicly that this is not partisan on the Democrats' part. I mean, this whole thing is a partisan fight. But the Democrats are understandably upset that the changes being made in certain states, states like Florida, states like Texas, you know, if the 2020 election were rerun, uh, certain partisan officials at the state level would be able to uh, block electoral college results. Uh, Mitch McConnell is blasting this. He says if Schumer does this, Republicans will show how this reckless action would have immediate consequences. In other words, we're going to do everything we can to stop the functioning of the Senate. Now, uh, he is going to try to draw on the symbolism of the day today. He will visit the uh, crypt of uh, Martin Luther King and his wife, Coretta Scott King. They will visit the Ebenezer Baptist Church, where Dr. King and the late John Lewis um, were eulogized. Uh, the Georgia Senator Raphael Warnick, who also was a pastor, uh, first black senator from the state of Georgia, he will be there. You know who won't be there? Stacey Abrams, who's running for governor again. And this is her signature issue, voting rights, nor will the NAACP and a bunch of voting rights groups. They're distancing themselves from Biden on this. And Stacey Abrams doesn't want to be on the same stage as Joe Biden, maybe because she thinks his effort is going to fail, maybe because it doesn't go far enough in her view, uh, maybe because the uh, president not real popular in Georgia these days. I don't know, but when she says, I have a scheduling conflict, that's complete BS. Whatever your scheduling conflict is, you fix it in order to be, I mean, this is not just Biden, you know, making some trip to Atlanta. This is the major voting rights pitch by the president of your party. And Stacey Abrams is going to be, you know, cleaning out her sock drawer. I'm not buying this. Uh, not looking great. All right. Number two, coronavirus. Latest uh, daily average, 737,000 new cases per day in the United States of America. The daily death toll has creeped up to 1,650. It had been 1,000, then it was around 1,300. You see the direction is going. Washington Post says, and this is the part I'm most worried about, which is the healthcare system. The U.S. is poised to shatter its own record for COVID-19 hospitalizations as soon as today, back last January of 2021, the record was 142,000. That was the previous peak of the pandemic. Yesterday, it was 141,000. So it's going to break it. In fact, some of the people who model these things for a living are saying hospitalizations when Omicron peaks later this month could be in the 275,000 to 300,000 range. Colorado, Oregon, Louisiana, Maryland, and Virginia all have declared public health emergencies. I mean, there just aren't going to be enough beds in a lot of these places. And to top it off, a lot of nurses and other hospital staff are falling sick themselves. Well, of course, they're on the front lines. They're being exposed to these patients. It is brave and courageous work on their part, but some of them are getting sick, and then they can't work, and that adds to the burdens on the hospitalizations, on the hospitals, excuse me. Now, I want to take a second. I wish I had a way of showing you this chart, 
But the New York Times has a series of charts about vaccinated and unvaccinated. And the reason I'm bringing this up is it has to do with hospitalizations. So first you have a chart, weekly cases in New York City and Seattle. And for the vaccinated, it kind of goes along and goes up slightly on an incline. For not fully vaccinated, it shoots up. Just imagine you know, one of those stock market arrows when the market is just roaring. Then the next chart, weekly hospitalizations in New York City and the Seattle area. Um, it barely goes up. You could almost, just a kind of a, just a kind of a minuscule upswing for vaccinated, for not fully vaccinated, shoots up like a rocket ship. Um, and then there is also for deaths uh, in New York and Seattle, deaths are just actually flat in the Seattle area, according to this chart, and go down slightly in New York City for the vaccinated, not fully vaccinated, again, off to the moon. And it just is a visual representation of what we already know. And so I don't want to hear about, well, you know, you get vaccinated and you get boosted and you get, and you get Omicron anyway. Yes, but you don't have to go to the hospital and you don't die. That is the key point. These charts, uh, it's worth looking up the story. It really is. All right, let me return now to, oh, a companion story here. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has COVID, Democratic Congresswoman from New York, confirmed that she tested positive. Of course, she had taken a few days off over the holidays to go to Florida with her boyfriend. She was photographed with him outside, I think at one bar without a mask. Uh, she says she's experiencing symptoms, symptoms recovering at home. Uh, she encourages everybody to get the shots. So she took a lot of political heat because, you know, it's like when Ted Cruz uh, went to Mexico while there was this horrible ice storm in Texas. She was seen as abandoning the folks back home. My view is, look, everybody's entitled to take a few days off. But she then hit back, as is her wont, on social media saying, you know, Republicans are just beating up on me because of their deranged sexual frustrations. They really just want to sleep with me. I thought that was an interesting counterattack. So now that the word has gotten around that she tested positive, you know, you got some people on the right who are dunking on her. First of all, there are several people on the right, Hugh Hugh and others, who are saying, you know what, I don't agree with AOC on anything, but I'm sorry to hear she has COVID. And that's the only rational response. I don't take any pleasure, even in people who are crusaders against vaccinations. If they get it, their family gets it, it's sad. You have to have a human reaction. Uh, on the other side, Clay Travis saying AOC, who's double vaccinated and boosted, tests positive, positive. She'll be perfectly fine because she's young and healthy, but she was just too hot for COVID to resist. Caleb Hull, AOC tested positive because the virus just wants to sleep with her. So I get it. She was very provocative. They're sticking it back to her. But I just think, you know, say something respectful when somebody has COVID-19 or just, you know, let it pass. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. All right, number three, the January 6th committee uh, remains a very hot story. The latest news is that Republican Congressman Jim Jordan won't cooperate with the committee. Earlier, there had been signals that he might have limited cooperation. Now he's not. Um, says the committee is just too partisan. There's also a story in the Washington Post today about whether Mike Pence is going to cooperate. Uh, they were trying to work out a voluntary cooperation deal for the former vice president. He's pissed because the committee is sort of making it seem like he is cooperating in order to increase pressure on him. The committee is pissed because Pence seems to be pulling back, 
because, uh, you know, he obviously wants to run for something, most likely president. And I think if he cooperates with the committee, the raw political calculation is that it becomes impossible uh, because Trump will turn on him. Of course, Trump has already turned on him to some degree. Uh, and now they're saying that, um, you know, the committee is being too partisan because it's referring these uh, cases where somebody defies a subpoena, Mark Meadows, for instance, Steve Bannon, for instance, to the Justice Department. But from the committee's point of view, if you issue a subpoena and, and, and Republicans thumb their noses at it, what choice do you have? And by the way, Republicans did this. They referred Eric Holder, who was resisting a records request, a uh, criminal contempt charge to DOJ. It went nowhere, as these things often do. Meanwhile, a lot of fallout from, I may have mentioned this yesterday, uh, over the weekend, um, Republican Senator Mike Rounds of South Dakota went on ABC's this week and told George Stephanopoulos the following. I mean, it's a simple statement of fact. He didn't attack Donald Trump. The election was fair, as fair as we have seen. We simply did not win the election, we as Republicans, for the presidency. So Trump goes back and, you know, this sends out this blast statement to everybody. I get these in my inbox every day, saying that Senator Rounds went woke and asking, is he crazy or just stupid? I will never endorse this jerk again. This is why the media miss Trump, because he's always good fodder. But this is why Republicans are afraid to cross him, because suddenly you're a jerk, you're a rhino, and all of that. Meanwhile, Kevin McCarthy, the House Republican leader, is telling Breitbart that if Republicans, as is likely, take over the House, he, or his party, will move to strip three congressmen they don't like, Eric Swalwell, Adam Schiff, and Ilhan Omar, of their committee assignments, uh, that would be retaliation for the Democrats um, stripping the committee assignments from Marjorie Taylor Greene over some of her incendiary statements. And I guess Paul Gosar, the guy who posted the uh, Japanese animation video showing, speaking of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, him killing her and stabbing Joe Biden. So tit for tat. Uh, I don't know why McCarthy thinks this is a good thing to put out now. Rally the base, I don't get it. All right. Story number four, uh, what's now being called the Djokovic Affair. So first of all, the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, who, is, who wanted and is still trying, actually, to kick Djokovic out of the country because he's unvaccinated, so he can't play in next week's Australian Open. He is in political trouble now. The Australian has a headline, the Australian newspaper, Morrison has humiliated us as well as Djokovic. London's independent. Morrison and his government are behaving disgracefully toward an incomer to Australia because they think folk like that sort of thing. But surely they like competence in their federal administration even more? Isn't the government of Australia supposed to be in control of its borders rather than some tennis club committee? Um, you know, so Djokovic went to court. He won. There's still a question about whether this can be appealed, whether he can be deported. I mean, how far are they going to take this? Yes, Djokovic has handled this horribly, not letting anybody know for days that he had COVID last month um, and therefore felt he didn't need the vaccination, but he is anti-vaccination. Uh, and he, wasn't, he just wasn't straightforward and honest about it, so he looks awful. I mean, here's a column in the Washington Post by Max Boot, who's a political writer, but apparently he's a big tennis fan. Um, he says, um, Djokovic has a long history of racket-smashing meltdowns, true, and unnecessary medical timeouts, uh, I don't know. Uh, he was disqualified from the 2020 U.S. Open for hitting a line judge with a ball. That was an accident as he whacked it, but nevertheless, it was a stupid thing to do. 
uh, says, Boot, it's hard to avoid the conclusion that Djokovic was looking to game the system at the risk of putting people's lives in danger. What makes this spectacle even more distasteful is the way that Djokovic's supporters insist on casting him as the victim. His father claims that his overprivileged, overpaid son, well, you're not overpaid if the market is willing to pay you for your athletic skills. Anyway, uh, the dad says he's staying at a Melbourne hotel that used to house refugees and asylum seekers is the Spartacus of the New World, a symbol, says his father, of poor and oppressed countries and peoples. How absurd. If Djokovic is Spartacus, then I'm Rod Laver, says Max Boot. In truth, Djokovic is another whiny sports superstar with screwy ideas and an exaggerated sense of entitlement. And there's still a lot of questions, by the way, that he has not answered. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. Story number five, uh, throw in some cable news. Jesse Waters giving a new show at 7 p.m. on Fox News. And that's the hour when Fox had been trying out all of these different conservatives to decide who would have that hour that is now devoted to opinion. Jesse Waters will remain on the five. And then MSNBC is giving a job to Simone Sanders, who about five seconds ago was the communications director for Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, here's a write-up saying she's about to return to television. Um, the network announced that she will host a weekend program on MSNBC. Uh, the details are still in development, but the New York Times says she'll work as a fill-in anchor and will host The Choice on Peacock. That's one of those streaming shows on NBC's new um, streaming service until her program is ready, ready to launch in the spring. Now, look, I get that it's a revolving door, right? So there were a lot of people who worked for the Obama administration, a number of them, I should say. And then during the Trump administration, they become MSNBC commentators, MSNBC contributors, and in a couple of cases, they get shows. And then Joe Biden wins the election, and they go back to working for the administration. MSNBC didn't invent this. Certainly people who used to work for the Bush White House now work for Fox. Certainly some people who work for the Donald Trump administration now work for Fox. Larry Kudlow has a show on Fox Business. But it used to be, and this will mark me as old-fashioned, and I get it, that, you know, you had to wait a little while, sort of like a decent interval before, just a little cooling off period, and then the former administration person could join your cable news network. I mean, hey, CNN used to do it when CNN was pretty much the only cable news network with Pat Buchanan. He would leave CNN, run for president, lose, come back, be on crossfire. Then he'd run for president again, lose, come back to CNN again. Uh, so it is, isn't like anybody else invented this. And look, once enough time passes, I mean, George Stephanopoulos, it's been decades since he worked in the Clinton White House, and I think he's established himself as a journalist. Do you want to argue that he's left-leaning? Fine. Um, the same goes for Dana Perino. I mean, it's been quite a while now since she was George W. Bush's White House press secretary, and I think she's established herself uh, as somebody with that background. And look, having a political background can help, but, you know, as, as a fair-minded host, moderator, co-anchor on America's Newsroom. Before that, she had uh, her own show on in the afternoon, uh, which I uh, used to appear on quite regularly. Uh, but anyway, here's what Simone Sanders told the New York Times. I plan to bring my whole self to the show. Uh, yes, I do politics, but I'm a consumer of pop culture. I watch the news. I check Twitter. I'm also into Real Housewives. Okay, so she's saying I'm not just a political animal. 
And um, she wants to reach people who are outside of Washington and don't care about politics. So Rashida Jones, who, like Simone Sanders, is African-American, MSNBC president, relatively new in that job, said Simone's been on our radar for a while. Soon as we had the opportunity after she left the White House, we shared the thought that this was the best place for her. Uh, She said that she was interested in Sanders' perspective as a woman, as a politico, as a black woman who's navigated all these areas from a cultural standpoint. Uh, And Sanders says, I'm going to tell the truth, and sometimes the truth is critical. This administration has its critics, just like everyone does. I have my critics, and we're going to have those conversations. So I ask you, maybe she will pleasantly surprise us. How likely is it that Simone Sanders, you know, moments, not moments, but days, whatever, after working for the vice president of the United States, after being a part of the Biden White House, a high-ranking member of the Biden White House, had worked for the Bernie Sanders campaign last time around, is going to come on the air and say, you know what, Joe Biden screwed up here. You know what, I disagree with the Biden White House on this. If she does, more power to her. The most likely outcome is that you won't hear that very much, if at all. And you know what? I mean, the consumers are smart. They can take it into account. They can know that somebody who is, you know, sort of at the podium and doing briefings and then suddenly shows up as a cable news commentator on the left or the right uh, is either going to be somebody who is trying to be fair-minded to all sides or is going to be an apologist for the administration that he or she most recently worked for. Now, over time, that could evolve, that could change. Uh, but again, these days, they get snatched up. If MSNBC hadn't hired her, I'm sure CNN would have found a spot for Simone Sanders. Well, once again, I always uh, like to thank you at the end for listening. Uh, the traffic is greatly increasing for our podcast, so uh, that makes me, it gives me a little extra oomph uh, to do this every day in addition to my other duties. Apple iTunes is always a good place to subscribe here or on your Amazon device. We'll see you tomorrow with more Buzzbeat. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 